The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. Here's what I believe, and I believe this about every single Sunday. God puts a message from His Word on my heart. I don't necessarily even know the journey that you've been on this week, but God brings you here, and the two are brought together perfectly by His Spirit. So I trust that God is going to speak to you uh, and, and wherever you're at in life's journey this morning. Uh, this morning, I'm going to do something a little unusual. I'm going to be in two different passages. Let me tell them to you ahead of time so you can maybe uh, get a bookmarker in each one. One of them is Isaiah 43, and one of them is Acts chapter 3. Isaiah 43, put a bookmarker, a piece of paper, your bulletin in there, Acts 3, put one in there. Well, while you're turning there, while you're finding two different places, I want to tell you a story I heard a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, NASA uh, had these three people that they wanted to bring, and they were three completely different kind of people, So they, but they were all from the same place, so they put them on a private charter flight. Uh, one was a guy that had two PhDs in astrophysics, and he was going to come to to consult with them and tell them about some things they could do with space exploration. Uh, one of them was a boy who won a contest to go and take a tour of NASA. And one of them was an old retired missionary whose son worked at NASA. And so his son made it so his dad could come. So three guys, they're on a, they're on a private charter jet. They're headed to the NASA headquarters, but things go terribly awry. And the engines of the jet go out. And the pilot comes out, he grabs a parachute, and he goes, I don't think there's enough parachutes for everyone, but I'm taking this one, and he jumps out the door. Well, the, the astrophysicist with two PhDs says to the other two guys, he goes, I'm, I'm probably the smartest guy in the United States. NASA's flying me there to solve all their problems. He goes, now that I think about it, I'm, I'm probably the smartest man in the world. The world needs me. And he grabs a parachute and jumps out the door. It leaves the old retired missionary and the little boy. The old retired missionary says to the little boy, he goes, man, I know the Lord. I know where I'm going. I know that heaven's mine. I've lived a, a long and fruitful life. And uh, you take the last parachute and you go ahead and jump. And the little boy goes, no, sir. He said, actually... He said, there's two parachutes left. He said, the smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> it's an interesting story, isn't it? And it resonates with us because we know a lot of smart people. I mean, I'm talking about smart people. We know a lot of smart people who are making some terrible mistakes with their life. It's as if we have the salvation parachute of Jesus right there. And many are choosing to jump into eternity with a backpack full of wrong ideas that will take them to their certain destruction. And so I ask myself, and this morning I ask you, and I, I hope that we can answer this together I ask myself, how is it that so many really smart people that I know, people that can run their own businesses, people who get, continually get promotions, people who have figured out how to make a lot of money, people who have several degrees behind their names, how, how is it that a lot of smart people are missing the singular most important thing in life, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And some of it, I think, is our fault. Sometimes I think we, we kind of start the gospel with the cross— 
and the, the, the death and burial and resurrection. Don't get me wrong. That's essential to the gospel. But we start there, and then we kind of say something like, you should receive Jesus. It'll make your life better. And that's kind of our, that's kind of our pitch. And they, they look at our lives, and they look at their lives, and they might even look at their lives and look at your life and go, my life's already better than your life. And, and, and so sometimes I think we miss it. So this morning, what I want to do is I, I want to talk about the gospel But I want us to go back to what I I think is a preliminary understanding that everybody needs to have. And and I think this is a way maybe to reach your people in your life who are so so blind to the gospel and and don't see it. And it starts with the fact that God has created you with a special purpose. I I want you to think about that. We're not starting with the cross. We're going to get there. But we're starting with creation. And, and God has created you with a special purpose. And the Bible says this over and over and over again in all kinds of different wonderful ways. There's a, there's a whole chapter about it in the 139th Psalm. The 139th Psalm is a whole chapter about the fact that uh, God's purpose starts with your conception. I mean, literally, there are some places in the Bible that says God's purpose starts before that. You, you were you were a part of God's plan of salvation. The Bible says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew about you long before you were ever conceived, long before you were ever carried in your mother's womb. God knew about you, but the 139th Psalm starts there. It's It starts with your conception. It starts with the fact that you were carried in your mother's womb for nine months and that God had a plan for you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you were knit together in the secret parts of your mother's womb. And while all of that was going on, God had a design and a plan for your life, a divine design, a special plan, a spiritual plan for your life. And this this truth is true of, of every person on the planet. Uh, this is something that I, I could preach in Honduras this morning. This is something that I could preach in Brazil, something I, could, I have preached in Africa, something that, that I, I could preach in China. This is true for every single person on the planet that God loves you and he has a design for you. We, we find it in Jeremiah chapter 1. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord says to Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I called you and I knew what you were going to do. I consecrated you. And all of that happened before Jeremiah was born. We find some of it here in Isaiah 43. Now, Isaiah 43 is clearly written to ancient Israel and to future Israel. But there are principles in it from the character of God that I want you to see this morning. Look in verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now... Thus saith the Lord. Let me stop there just for a second. Have you ever pondered the phrase, thus saith the Lord? It's an interesting phrase. How is it that I can speak to you with such authority? Because God is the one who's doing the speaking. This is from the word of God. This is not the the synthesis of a lot of smart people who have come up with a, a hypothesis hypothesis on how it is that you might find purpose in life. That is not what it is. This is the one who gives you purpose, the one who created. And he says, this is, God says, this is what I say. 
I'm the one who created you. Here he's speaking to Israel, to Jacob. So he, he uses their name. Oh, Jacob, I'm the one who formed you. Oh, Israel, he could say it to you. Put your own name in there. I, I Put my name in there. I'm the one who created you, Paul. I'm the one who formed you, Paul. So fear not, I have redeemed you. I called you by name and you are mine. There are two senses in which, uh, two, two ways in which you can belong to the holy heavenly father. One is that you belong to him by creative act. He created you. He formed you. So if you're the designer, you own the design. So God owns you in that sense. But secondly, and more importantly, you can not just belong to God by the act, the mere act of creation, but you can belong to God because he redeems you. You can belong to him by his redemptive act, and that is where Jesus Christ went to the cross. That is where he bought you back, like, a, like one who was sold as a slave to sin. He buys you back, and so he says, I own you. You belong to me. I've redeemed you. Look at verse 4. If you underline or mark or write in your Bible, here's a verse I commend to you. We would say to, to the Lord, well, why are you making such a big deal about a special purpose? And he says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever contemplated that the almighty, omnipotent God of the universe loves you? I think sometimes we read it in the New Testament, for God so loved the world. This is the Old Testament. God's always said this. He's never not said this. He's always said to you, I love you. I created you. I have a special purpose for you. You are precious in my eyes. This is what God says to you. The beginning of the gospel is that God created you not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And, and, and he loves you, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Sometimes we think, well, of course God loves me. He's God. He has to. He doesn't have to. He wants to. And he declares to you, I know you by name. I know everything about you. You are precious to me. And he has a plan for your life. Just one more verse, verse 7. And those who say yes to that plan, those who receive that redemption, they are, they are those who are called by my name, the ones I have created for my glory. That's why I formed you. That's why I made you. So now you know the purpose of God. What is God's special purpose for your life? It is that you, by the living out of your life, your own unique and individual journey, you might bring glory to God. That's God's special purpose. But, but so many of us, we miss that purpose. It's like, it's like we grab the backpack instead of the parachute. We, we don't grab what will save us. We grab kind of our own homespun, philosophical, half-theological, part-consensual, uh, culturally acceptable ideas, and we jump out of the plane with that. And so many people are missing the very purpose for which God formed you and made you and created you 
and called you and sent his son to die for you. And that brings me to Acts chapter 3. Now, I'm going to come back to Isaiah 43, so don't lose your place there. But go with me to Acts chapter 3. When, uh, when we come to Acts chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, the Apostle Peter, rather, is uh, p- preaching again. Now, uh, he's already preached on the day of Pentecost. Remember, uh, we just studied Peter uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, the greatest spiritual comeback ever. That's Peter. So now that we're in Acts 3 and 4 and 5, he gets it. He gets it all. God is using him. The Holy Spirit is using him. Things have changed in his life. And, and we're, right in the, we're right in the epicenter of this part of Peter's story. And so uh, uh, Peter and John, well, let's just read it. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, they were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So, so it's the hour of prayer. For those of us who are Gentiles and not Jews, we don't know what the hour of prayer is. So it's the ninth hour. For those of you who don't know the Jewish clock, it's three in the afternoon. So they're going to the temple, three in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth. This is what I want you to notice. He's the, he's the focal part of what's about to happen next. He's been lame from birth. He has never walked in his entire life. He was being carried, and they laid him daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms from those who were entering the temple. The Old Testament tradition and custom was that the Jews gave two, t- two tithes, uh, the two-tenths. Uh, one they gave to the temple, to the work of the Lord in that way, and the other they gave to the help of the poor, widows, orphans, and disabled. And um, they, there was no governmental processes to take care of the disabled or, or those who were impoverished. And so the Jewish people did that by giving a tenth of their income to those people. And so here's a guy who's figured out, man, the people that are going to most likely give are the people who would actually stop their day at three in the afternoon and go to the temple and pray. So he found a, a pretty good place and that's where he was. And so I, I want to start this part of the story. I, w- I want to do something unusual with you here in this part of the story. And that is we're talking about the fact that you were created with a special purpose. So I want to take this part of Acts 3 and talk about all the things that are not that special purpose, okay? Because this is where we get mixed up. This is where we choose the backpack instead of the parachute. This is where smart people make the wrong decisions. So, so let's just stop and, and actually define what is and now what is not the purpose of God. And it starts with this man who's lame. So as we look at this guy's life, as we consider that he is made in the image of God, his soul is stamped with the image of God. God has a divine purpose for him. He's not omitted because he's lame. That is not how the perfect, holy, sovereign God works. So we can come to a conclusion. We can acknowledge that our health and leisure and ease are not necessarily the purpose of God for us. Um, We live in this world where even Christians get trapped by this. Uh, We're going through life, we got good health, and and this room is big enough, we got people in this room who are in perfect health, we got people in this room who are facing life-threatening medical issues. 
and, and, and all of us that are in between. So, so here we all are, and what happens to many of us is we, we're kind of going through life, and we, we're serving the Lord, and we care about things of the Lord. I mean, we, we care about the Lord enough to, to go to church when it's 18 below zero. So that, that speaks pretty highly of you. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't have a desire to know what God wants to do in your life. But then the health crisis hits, and it's cancer, it's heart disease, it's something else and when that happens, we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt God. We begin to doubt what he's doing in our life. And we begin to think he's not there. And all of a sudden we think, I'm not precious to you. I, you, you don't care about me. You are, you, you're looking at something else. And we, we begin to put conditions on our relationship with God. And we, we think somehow we're missing his purpose. So here's what I want to say to you. There's no way that we can use our health or, or lack of health as a, as a litmus test over whether or not we are fulfilling the purpose of God. So, so I want you to get this this, this morning. It's, it's really important that you get this. This guy is going to be used by God in the most incredible ways, and he can't walk, and he's never walked. And we're going to find out later, he's over 40 years old. And so one of the purposes of God for you, I want you to understand, is not related to your health or your leisure or your ease. Back to the story. So verse 4, verse 3, he saw Peter and he saw John and they were about to go into the temple and he asked to receive some alms from them. And verse 4, Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and then he said, look at us. Now, uh, have any of you ever t- traveled the world? And when you travel the world, wherever they are in the whole world, there's the kind of the indigent and there's the mentally ill, and they're going to find you, and they're going to ask you for money. And what is the advice that everybody gives everybody? Like, if you're a Montanan and you're going to go to New York City, they say, and when you ride the subway, don't look anyone in the eye. That, that's a universal advice. Don't look at anyone, because if you do, they take that as the open door to engage you, and then you've got the crazy guy, right? Or unless you're a Baptist pastor, you just attract crazy people. That's why you came, right? (laughs) I gotcha. So, he says, look at us, and of course, what does this guy think? Well, if if you stop and you say, look at me, he thinks he's going to get something. And so he fixed his attention on them. Verse 5, he expected to receive something. Then Peter says, I don't have any money. What a letdown. In fact, if you're kind of the guy there, and you just got a moment, right? I mean, his, it's, it's just a quick open door. Everybody's going in for prayer. Then you, he wants to say, then move along. Because for somebody else who's got some, I don't have any money. Silver or gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. This is an incredible part of the story. In fact, the next verse says, his feet and ankles were, he he took him up immediately. His feet and ankles were made strong. Verse 8, he leaped and he stood up. This wasn't a Phil Mickelson, I won the master's leap. This is a Michael Jordan hang in the air for 10 seconds leap. This is incredible, and he's, and he's leaping, and he's, and he's praising God. In verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate. So we can come to a second conclusion 
about what the purpose of God is not for your life. It's not money or the things that it can buy. As a matter of fact, God goes out of his way to say that what happened here was completely disconnected from money. Peter didn't have any. But God does this incredible thing for his own glory. Remember Isaiah 43, 7? He made you for his glory. That's why you were conceived. That's why he brought you to this world. That's why he consecrated your life, for his glory. And that doesn't have anything to do with money. And that's not the American way, is it? The American way is I, I, I need money. And I need more than I had yesterday. And, I, and I, I want more tomorrow than I have today. And even in ministry, we, we always give money, give some money so we can reach the world for Christ. It's, we kind of we make God's work conditional on whether or not we have money. And Acts chapter 3 makes it clear God doesn't need your money. Isn't it interesting? Have, have you ever thought about the conclusion of the book of Job? The conclusion of the book of Job is God telling Job, have, have you ever noticed that I've never come to you for advice, Job? I don't need your counsel. You weren't there when I created the world. God didn't choose you because he needed you on his heavenly counsel. The scripture says, in spite of your sin, when you were walking away from God, when you were his enemy, he chose you. Not because you were so smart. And so it's not our money that he needs. And and it's not a test on whether or not you have the blessing of God by how much money you have. That's not a biblical test. And yet for those of us who live in a very prosperous culture, we can fall into that trap. Well, everybody comes around. Everybody's looking. Verse 11 He clung to Peter and John, and all the people were utterly astounded. They ran together in the portico, which is called Solomon's. And when Peter saw there was a big crowd there, he addressed the people, and here's how his sermon starts. Men of Israel, why are you incredulous about this? Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, remember John's with him, as though by our own power, we made him walk. So we find something else that's not necessarily the purpose of God for you, and that is it's not about ability or power. Now certainly there is an incredible power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I think we get this backwards, don't we? We talk about the power of the Holy Spirit as if it's mine. I really belong to him. It's the power of of the Holy Spirit, and I belong to the Holy Spirit. We, we kind of turn that around sometimes to get the impression that the Holy Spirit indwells me, and then so I have all the power. You probably don't. God wants you to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's not yours. It's the Holy Spirit's. He dispenses it. If, 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 if the power were all ours, then what would we do? Well, we'd just go to the hospital and clean it out, right? We'd heal everybody. If the power of the Holy Spirit was all you, then you'd make sure that we had plenty of money for the ministry. We get the idea that when you give your life to God, then you're going to have power and ability. No, here's what I've discovered. What I've discovered is that when a nerd gets saved, you know what he is? He's a saved nerd. When a geek gets saved, he's a saved geek. God just saves us, and we're still quite 
common and ordinary. He does powerful things, but he does powerful things. And some of us, like, uh, uh, like Simon Barjona, want, we want God because we want what God will do for us. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that I submit to the almighty heavenly God of the universe for his glory, Isaiah 43, 7. Well, there's a second part of verse uh, 12. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as by our own power or piety we made him walk? There's something else here that may sound very odd to your ears. And that is that the power of God, the special purpose of God in your life is not necessarily to do good things. You say, wait a second, no. It's not necessarily to do good things. Let's think about it. If you don't have your health, if you don't have any money, if you don't have any ability or power, you don't even have the ability to do good things. There are some in our congregation who are a part of our spiritual family. They are under hospice care today. They don't have the ability to be here. They don't have the ability to drive. They, they actually are dependent on somebody else to take care of them. So the purpose of God isn't that you were drafted by God because he wanted you on his team. You are so incredible, you go to church when it's 18 below. We sometimes get the idea that, that we do good things. Now, God did call us to goodness, but not in order to be saved. We just live that out as a reflection of, of his love through us. So Peter makes it clear, we didn't do this by our own power, and we didn't do it by our own innate righteousness or our own goodness. In fact, if we jump ahead in this story, and we'll come back to the middle of it, but jump all the way to chapter 4, find verses 12 and 13. They, uh, at the end of this story, what's going to happen? It's going to be such a ruckus. So many people are going to get saved. Uh, verse 4 says 5,000 people get saved. Now, we always talk about the day of Pentecost being the the most awesome day because 3,000 people got saved. Actually, on this day, 5,000 people got saved. Uh, Peter and John, they get thrown in jail. They bring them out. And in, in his defense, this is what Peter says in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. To use our little silly story, there's no other backpack that can save you. There's one parachute, there's one way, it's Jesus. That's what he says. In verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were, look at these phrases, uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me give you one more thing that is not God's divine purpose for your life. And that, and that is this. It's not to be extraordinary. We live in a day and age where everybody wants to be extraordinary. They want to win American Idol. They want to win The Voice. They want to, they want to get a college scholarship to play sports. They want to, uh, they, they want to be pro. 
Everybody wants to be extraordinary. They want to they be extraordinary on their blog or their vlog and, and what, they, what they post online. And they take extraordinary pictures and it goes to Instagram. And everybody wants to be extraordinary. And we're all extraordinary. And so we all get participation award. This is the world that we now live in. And if you're not extraordinary, you're nobody. You've got to be a Cardassian to be somebody. Have you ever thought about the Cardassians? The Cardassians are famous for being famous. Think about it. They've never done anything. They're just famous for being famous because they want to be extraordinary. We think this is the way. It's the earthly way. Now think about all these things that we've talked about here. Health reflects, reflects what's earthy, and money reflects what's earthy, and power or position reflects what's earthy. And so once again, who are these guys? They're uneducated. So we could, I could even say this. I don't have time to preach it. But God's purpose for you isn't necessarily education. They were uneducated and common. So none of those are to be the goal for your life. So some of you are sitting here, and you, you would have to acknowledge that you're spending your effort and your time and your, and your energy to achieve goals that aren't necessarily God's goals for you. You're, you're, you're trying to save your health. Here, 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 let me give you an illustration that puts health and money together. Most people spend their whole life, and they, they accumulate all the wealth that they can, and in the last six months of their life, they spend over 75% of their wealth trying to live seven months of their life. Is that your purpose? Is that your divine spiritual purposes? Is that, is that why God imprinted your soul with the image of himself? No. Your purpose, Isaiah 43, your purpose is to glorify God. So back to Isaiah 43. When we go back to it, there's some stuff here that I, I want you to see and I want you to understand again. Let me read verses 4 and 7 back to back. The Lord says to you, I want you to hear this as if the Holy Spirit of God is talking to you this morning. You are precious in my eyes, whether you're healthy or not, whether you have money or not. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you peoples in exchange for your life. Now here he's talking to Israel, but this has a different prophetic meaning in the future. God would give a man in exchange for your life. It is the man Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no other. There's no other name under heaven given to man whereby you must be saved. There's not two ways to heaven, three ways to heaven, a half a dozen ways to heaven. God gave Jesus in exchange for your life. And for those that would receive him, verse 7, everyone who's called by my name, I have created for my glory. That's why you're here. That's why I formed you. That's why I made you. So very quickly then, your purpose is to glorify God. And and I want to help you with your purpose this morning. And, And so what that means is, since your purpose is to glorify God, use your health or lack thereof to glorify God. 
God used the fact that this guy was lame for 40 years so that the miracle would be so incredible that 5,000 people would be saved. That's a, that's a pretty good use of that life. 5,000 people would be saved because of him. He was the object lesson. Use your health or, if you don't have health, to glorify God. Use your money or, or lack thereof to glorify God. Listen very careful, carefully. It doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars or a hundred dollars. Use it to glorify God. It's not the amount that God cares about. You remember the parable? He gave 10 talents to one guy, five talents to one guy, one talent to one guy. They weren't judged by how much. They were judged by what they did with it. Use your money to glorify God. Use your abilities or your lack of ability to glorify God. I think that God frequently uses me to stand before you, a very flawed messenger with hardly any abilities, so that you can look at it and go, well, if Paul can figure that out, I can do it too. God does that. He takes those of us of this world that are not noble and not smart and not brilliant to do incredible things to show that it is the power of God that does it. And of course... Use your good deeds to glorify God. You, you can't use your bad deeds to glorify God. So use your good deeds to glorify God. You're not, you're not doing good things so you can get to heaven. It's just the natural flow of belonging to the almighty, omnipotent God of the universe who loved you so much, who told you, you are precious in my eyes and sent his one and only son for you and died on the cross for you. How can you respond in any other way? That's your purpose for life. And use your uniqueness to glorify God. Now, here's what's incredible. I told you a while ago, God's purpose isn't for you to be extraordinary. He's extraordinary. He's the one who gets the glory. But with all that, he did make you uniquely you. You are the only you on the planet. There isn't anybody else in this room that looks like you. There isn't anybody else in the state of Montana who's anywhere remotely like you. There's not anybody else on the planet like you. You are uniquely you. God created you. And he wants to do a unique, divine, spiritually empowered, glorifying work in your life. And that's your purpose. That's why he created you. That's why Jesus died for you. And all of that together is the gospel. And it's offered to anyone who will confess Christ and turn from their sins and ask him to come into their life. Peter quotes from the 43rd Psalm, I'm sorry, the 43rd chapter of Isaiah in Acts chapter 3 in verses 19 and 20. This is straight out of Isaiah 43. He says, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you. And who is that Christ? It's Jesus. In Isaiah 43, I told you that Peter quoted from it in his sermon in Acts 3. Here's the part he quoted, verse 25. The Lord has already said in this chapter of Isaiah, he said, I'm the Lord, I'm the Redeemer, I'm the Holy One, I'm the Creator, and I'm the King. But in verse 25, he says, I am. I am 
He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Have you ever thought about that? I always, I always think of Jesus forgiving me of my sins for me because I need it. But he blocks out our transgressions for his own sake. And then God says, I will remember your sins no more. I will not remember your sins. Here's a great question. How can the God who can't forget anything forget your sin? And the answer is, since he can do anything, he can forget them if he wants to. Talk about selective memory. Here it is. He chooses not to remember your sins. Here's our benediction this morning from verses 18 and 19. I want you to hear this as if God is speaking it to you directly. He says, don't remember the former things in your life. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I'm going to do a new thing in you. And now it springs forth. Can't you see it? That's what God wants to do. He wants to use you with a new purpose. His purpose, the purpose that he's always had for you, when you before you were born. He's going to do something great in your life to bring him glory. He starts it now. Can't you see it? Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.